0: Welcome to the Milestone Church podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com/messages. Hello, everybody! Come on, let's praise the Lord. He's a worthy to be praised. I used to love this church a lot more uh, than I do now, uh, because over the last year and a half, uh, my daughter and my son-in-law come here, and they overly like it. And uh, so, they're always telling me, Dad, you should do this. Dad, you should get your hair cut. You'll preach better if you were bald. Dad, you should put black garbage bags in the back wall. Dad. So I don't like those phone calls, but I do love my daughter. And I like my son-in-law. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, God is good, isn't that right? Listen, I was hearing Jeff talk, and, you know, I, I get to move around and travel a little here and there. And I'm, I'm a pastor. I don't know how to do anything else. But you guys have a pastor. You have a lot of pastors. But I'm going to tell you right now, with the, what the world needs and what believers need, We need pastors. A pastor is somebody, if they have 99 people who are doing well and one is broken down, they're thinking about the broken one. Can I have an amen? Amen. Listen, this church is growing larger and larger and larger. But the vision here is to grow smaller and smaller and smaller where everyone counts and everybody has something to do. You'll never understand the vision of this church until you bring someone who is broken down here and watch them find Christ and get discipled. And even in ministry, there are people right now who are lost in this community, maybe addicted to drugs are going to get saved here and be pastors on staff one day. Can I have an amen? I mean, why not? And it'll be because you bring them here. And I want to say this too. You can come to this church for the rest of your life and never get involved. And you might be okay, but you'll never be as strong as you could be. But I want to flip it and say it the way I really want to say it. Milestone Church, if you don't get involved... And you just, you get fed. There's nothing wrong with getting fed. Uh, Even if you sneak out, you find the right time to go so you don't have to deal with the, the parking lot. You can come here and this church will be okay if you don't, but it'll never be as strong as it could be. Because the vision of this church was never to exclude you. It was to include you. And let's go. Can I have an amen? All right? Listen, God is good. I'm a Cajun. From Louisiana, I live in Arkansas, two different places. The crawfish live in Louisiana. Uh, In Arkansas, they don't have any crawfish. In Louisiana, we talk like that. I'm a Cajun. We talk like that. How you doing, huh? And uh, we love food that lives in a ditch. And uh, uh, anybody like food that lives in a ditch? Crawfish? Okay, two cousins in the house, whatever. And we like LSU, uh, being Christians and all. And, uh, but also in Arkansas, they don't speak Cajun. They speak banjo. And I'm not kidding. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Now, 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 now. How you doing? Now, 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 now. Yeah, banjo. So, but I love, I love pastoring and I love the word. And I'm going to tell you what I like the most about this church is you guys hold the word sacred. And I, I was thinking about the vision of this church Did you know this? About a month or two ago, there was 5,000 of you who were participants and you went out and you did 300 projects in this community to the hurting people, to poor people, uh, to widows and you just served them. Way to go. And the reason why that's huge is because one day the Lord's going to divide everybody into two categories. He's going to put some on one side, and uh, he's going to call them his sheep. And he's going to say, thank you for the way that you were faithful. So when I was cold, this is what he's going to say. When I was cold and I was around you, you would give me something warm to wear. And when I was hungry, I didn't stay hungry. You came and you gave me something to eat. Even when I was in prison, you came to visit me. Thank you, job well done. And one of them is gonna say, Lord, we're glad we aced that, but we don't remember doing that for you, but we're glad we did. And he's gonna say, it was when you were doing it for the one who was hurting around you, that's when you were doing it for me. Job well done, let's go. Then he's gonna look to the goats and it calls them go. We're not talking about Tom Brady or Michael Jordan. Uh, we're talking about a group of people. He's going to look at them and he's going to say, listen, when I was cold around you, I just stayed cold. And when I was hungry around you, I just stayed hungry. When I was in prison, you never came to see me. When I was lonely, I just stayed lonely. Depart from me. And one of them was going to say, Lord, we would have never done that to you. What are you talking about? There's no chance we would have done that to you. And he's going to say, It was when you were not doing it to those that were hurting around you. That's when you were not doing it for me. So I don't know which side you want to be in on that, but I really want the Lord to look at me someday and to say, Good job. Well done. But the problem is is that I always remember the things that I'm not doing well, and I get stuck. And like sometimes I I live around condemnation. I get get discouraged, shame. I remember my mistakes. Raise your hand if you ever deal with that sometimes. I deal with it more than most because, and I've told this story everywhere, even here, I grew up in a legalistic church. It was very judgmental, and it was like a prerequisite to go to that church is you had to hate people and be mean all the time. And the meanest person there was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, she hated me. I was eight years old. And she would point at me and say, hell is hot. You're going to hell. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And then one day she said, don't you want to go to heaven? And I said, not if you're going to be there. But the thing is, is that I I never really felt like that the Lord wanted me around. I always thought he wanted me away from him. That's a real bummer because how do you think my prayer life was? Who's going to serve God? Who's going to worship the Lord when they don't think that God even wants them around? So how do you get that straight? There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6, and pastors talk about this all the time. But there was these these people that were young and they were building this church and they they were walking on the working on the kids area and and uh, space for more souls and uh, but one of them while he was working he lost his cutting edge is what the Bible says you can read it later and when he lost his cutting edge instead of acting like he still had it because that's what we do we we lose it we don't have our edge with the Lord and we lose it and we just keep swinging. And there's a lot of vibration. There's a lot of frustration, but we don't want anybody to know. But that's not what this brother did. This brother went to Elijah, and he said, "Elijah, i got to be honest, I lost my edge. And Elisha said, he said, where did you lose it? Let's go back and get it. So my question to you is, if you've lost your edge, where did you lose it? So the topic of the day is really going to be about all of that. And uh, and if I had to just say one thing about the body of Christ, and I'm, I'm going to hit hard today, but I'm not here to leave you there to be discouraged because the Holy Spirit's going to bring us closer to the Father. Can I have amen on that? But I, I do sense in the body of Christ as around the world that for some reason, a lot of believers, they don't fear God like they used to. It's like, where is the fear of God? So I'm not going to preach on that. But what I am going to preach on is the real cost, the real cost, the real cost to loving the Lord, to loving the church. In Psalms 116, I'll just read the first part of this. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he has done for me? Are you thankful today? The Bible says you enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Let's praise his name all around this place. We're just so thankful for him. Come on, if you're thankful, let's praise his name. That's what we're here for. But I don't sense that we consistently live that way. Like with this real cost. So I'm an optimist, If you and no one likes to be around negative people all the time. So I'm an optimist, but as I, now I'm 61 years old, so I think I'm also a realist, so I, I just add to that, that optimism with real questions now. Like if somebody comes to me and they go, Pastor Rick, I'm getting married. I'm finally getting married. And I'll always think, congratulations, but in the back of my mind is like, I hope they know the real cost is a real cost. Somebody comes to me and they go, man, Pastor Rick, I, I, I'm starting a business. I've always wanted to. And I'm starts It's like, come on, Bubba, let's pray. I hope they know the real cost. Pastor Rick, we're going to have a baby. I'm so happy. That's a gift from God. That's so good. I hope they know the cost. I'm starting a business with a partner. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be in ministry or whatever it might be. I'm past I'm gonna pastor finally. I'm giving everything up to pastor. Good I hope you know the cost. So, what I want to talk to you about is the real cost because the truth is, I think I don't know. If we've looked square into the eyes of this, and if we look right at it, then then you can know. Today, I don't know how you're doing with the cost of your walk with God. But that doesn't concern me because it's really none of my business. But what scares me is that you may not know either because you don't look at it. And I want you to look at it today. My son, Hunter, my wife is a health nut. She's here right now. Uh, Stand up, boo. You're so cute, you got to stand. All right. She's pretty. Can you believe she married me, man? But she's a health nut, and she eats healthy food. And you can tell I don't. You you have to eat a lot to stay big like this. And, uh, And she eats kale and stuff like food the rabbit should eat. And and, uh, and I don't. So I told her, I said, babe, you're still going to die. I don't want you to die, but you're going to die. But you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. But me, I'm going with Reese's peanut butter cups. So I got that going for us. But I was just thinking about, like, my, when, she, when Hunter was born, or first born, he's 32 now, but... She read somewhere, she reads too much health stuff, and, uh, but she read somewhere that kids shouldn't have candy their first year because they're not going to miss it. They don't even know what it is. I think it's like you should call DHS if you do that to your kids, but so we didn't, and his first birthday, it was like, hey, everybody, Hunter, he's, he's one today. That's why y'all are here. And we got chocolate for him, which is no big deal, but he's never had it in his life. This will be the first time. So get your cameras ready. It's going to be so cool to watch him like his face when he gets all this candy, his cake, and all this. So it's going to be fun. Uh, this will be his first time. And my dad raises his hand. He goes, it's not going to be his first time. <laughs> and I say, yes, it is, Dad. He's my son. I know what's going on. Oh, no. He's had a lot of chocolate. but you do wanna record it because his face lights up. You're gonna love it. <laughs> it was like, how did I not know, man? So, so to motivate you like, to know, I think this is one thing that'll help you. There's a major cost to serving the Lord, but there's a major cost not to. There's a major cost to get up every day. I'm gonna do devotions and seek the Lord Every day. There's a cost not to. There's a cost of saying, look, I know it takes a lot to build a church. And I'm not just going to consume, I'm going to serve. There's a cost to do that. There's a cost not to. There is a cost to have an integrity. I'm going to tell the truth and I'm, I'm going to be a hard worker or whatever it is. There's a cost to do that. There's a cost not to. Some of you could testify in that. There's a cost. And in the book of Luke, it says that we should count the cost. So what I'm going to talk to you about, it comes from this passage of scripture in Luke 14 and verse 25. But everybody look here before we cheat and look at the scripture. I want you to know that Jesus had a lot of people following him at this time. And I noticed there was an ebb and flow in his relationships with crowds. And uh, he obviously paid a huge price to win multitudes to his name. But interesting enough, whenever the crowds would get big, he would say some things that were about cost. And then when he would say it, they would leave. Like we all love, crowds love the attributes of Christ. To love your enemies, pray for those who try to harm you, forgive other people, when he would do miracles attributes. But a lot of people don't know, because they just read that part, they don't know that he had absolutes that were unmovable. He would take the Old Testament on issues like morality, like Old Testament, don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, he said, if you just lust after someone you're not married to, that's that's like committing, a, like he was intense. So we like his attributes, but his absolutes. Do you know that Jesus talked more about hell than anyone else in scripture? And he did it vividly. Why? Because he loves people and he wants people just to know truth. He has grace and he has truth. We have to have both. Can I have an amen? Some of you are way too much truth. You don't love anybody. Some of you love everybody. You forgot about the truth. So in this scripture, you can see that he's speaking truth. It's a large crowd. It even says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. But it did not say large followers, like a large crowd of followers. No, just crowds. The gates of hell can't prevail against the church, but it can prevail against crowds. Which one are we in? So then he gets into something that's going to be very irritating to hear. And when I read it, to me, it's a passage of scripture It's really hard to understand unless you look at the original language and try to figure out what Jesus is trying to say and then it'll put rest back in you. But look at the angst that you get when you read it at face value. It says, and turning to them, he says, if anyone comes to me, like if you want to follow me, you're gonna have to hate your father and your mother. What? Uh, They're gonna have to hate your wife and your children. Brothers and sisters, you're gonna to have to hate even your own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple if they don't do these things, is basically the way that it really reads. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What in the world is he talking about? You can imagine why there were fewer in the crowd after that. But what he was not saying, what he was not saying is that I want you to hate your family and hate yourself. I got so many scriptures to contradict that and the Lord never contradicts himself. So what was he really saying? He was talking about contrast. He was talking about in the level, in the scope of your love for me. If you wanna be a follower, the cost and the way you love me, the comparison of that, it's, it's so far away from every other relationship. Like it would be common for you to think this. You might think this, and you may say, well, we've got to have our priorities straight. And in your list of priorities, it might be Jesus, number one, family, number two, relationships, three, career in there, four, hobbies, On that list, what Jesus is saying, I don't want to be number one on that list. Well, what is he saying? He he doesn't want to be number one on that list. He wants to be number one in every one of those things on that list. Number one in your life, number one in your family, number one in your career, number one in your relationships, number one in your hobbies, like right in the center of it all. Do you remember that song, the center of it all? The cost, he's trying to give the contrast to the cost. I want you to think right now of the people who love the Lord with all of their heart, and the cost—like they win more people to the Lord by accident than those who—it's more cheap than they would deliberately. My my grandmother, I'm Cajun, told you that earlier. Uh, she she loved she loved the Lord. She would answer the phone if you called her landlines, young people. It was actually phones used to be plugged into a wall. And, uh, and she would answer the phone, Jesus loves you, I know that for sure. Cajun lady. Loved her. Well, she was dying when we started our church in the year 2001. And a few months before that, I called her on the phone because I knew she could pray. Man. And she sacrificed a lot to serve the Lord through the years. So I called her. I said, Mama, how you doing? I'm doing so good, Rick. How you doing? I just love you so much, Cajun people, you know. And I said, Mama, I know you're not feeling well, but could you come to our first service on February the fourth? And if you could get there a little early, you could pray over me. I'm really nervous. She said, Oh Rick, I hadn't left the house. I'm so sick. I'm down to like 90 pounds or whatever she said. I don't remember. I can't come, but I'll pray from here. I didn't want her to feel bad. So I said, that's okay, mama. You can pray from there. She said, oh, Rick, I just love you. Fast forward to our first service. There was a knock on the door right before service. And I said, come in. And the door opened. And it was my frail 80-pound Grandmother with a big smile. She said, I just had to come. She put her arms around me and she prayed over me and it was like, it was so good. But afterwards, I was thinking, the cost that she paid for that six or seven hour journey just to pray over me, what? cost. First thing about the cost, the cost to love the church, the bride, it doesn't look for a bargain. Like you don't just look for the cheapest route there. The bride is, it's the bride of Christ. It's like me. If you come hang out with me, go Rick, I just think you're so cool, but I I hate your bride. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pepper spray you. I want you to love her, too. So this is why I keep throwing in the church. But the rich young ruler, he went to the Lord with excitement. He goes, I love you. I'm going to follow you. You're good. And Jesus said, you got to obey my commandments. And he immediately started lying. This is what happens. We try, try to have a cheap relationship with the Lord. He said, obey my commandments. And this rich young ruler lied. He goes, I've obeyed every one of them my whole life since I was a kid. Not true. In fact, none of you could say that. How many of you have ever lied before? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying now, and God will kill you. This is church crying out loud. We got plastic bags, man. Rich young ruler. He looked at him. Jesus could tell that that he didn't want the cost. So Jesus looked at him. I'm not going to tell you what he said, because I want you to think about the one thing that's keeping you from all in. And he said, listen, this one thing. You go and do this one thing and then come back and follow me. Do you know what the scripture says? The scripture says that the rich young ruler, he said, that's too much cost. So the Bible says that he turned around, depressed, discouraged, and he walked directly away from the Lord. Why? Because he wanted the greatest blessing from Jesus with the least amount of cost. The cheapest route. Interesting enough, when the Lord talked about the end times, we know that Jesus is going to come back. And if you study the word, you can sense we're there. We're close to, to that. But if, if they, the disciples, they couldn't understand when he was going to die, and they couldn't understand when he was going to come back. So they would ask questions like, when are you going to do it? When are you going to come back? When are you coming? Come on, tell me. When are you going to come back? We just want to know. When are you gonna... Come on, tell us. We're on your cabinet. Tell us. When are you going to come back? And he would never tell them when. He would tell them to watch. No, we want to know when. No, watch. Pay attention because people are going to be deceived. They're going to be lovers of themselves. 51% of the people who served me, he said, their love is going to grow cold. He said the most, the love of most, 51% or more. It could have been higher. He said, that, I want you to watch. But when? No, watch. And the reason why he didn't say when, because if he would have said when, it would cheapen our relationship. Like if you knew Jesus was coming back on September the 28th, you would live differently as you get closer and closer to that time. By the way, he's not coming back September 28th, because if he did, like he says, no one knows ours. So even if I guessed right, he changed the date so nobody could be right. But as you get closer and closer to that, we would start getting more and more like, okay, and then the day before, totally right, all in, fear of God, looking at scriptures again without trying to dissect them or deconstruct them. And this is what happens is the Lord is saying, no, I want you to watch, pay attention, watch. When I went to Normandy some time back, and I love history. How many love history? I just love it. And But what I didn't know is that, that, that D-Day, that the word D stands for day. I kind of knew that, but I never thought about, why is it D-Day? D stands for day, and I already got day in there. Why is it, why is it called technically day-day? Shouldn't they come up with something more creative than that? Well, the reason is is they knew this day was coming one day, but they didn't know when. So they started training for months. And then one day they woke up and they said, this is the day. And they were ready, except for one caveat, one little mistake. And I didn't even know about this. The allied nations all had these clickers because they were going to land on the beaches at night or at least there was a possibility they would. We know the the real story, but they were training for every possibility. So they had these clickers, and what would happen is they would hear people moving after they landed as paratroopers or whatever, and they would click these clickers like some of you have for pets. And then when the allies would hear it, they would click back twice, and then they would know that's one of us. But some of them didn't like those instructions. They thought it was silly to have a clicker. So they didn't bring them so they would hear, who's that? No answer. Mow them down. More people were killed on D-Day by friendly fire than enemy fire because of those clickers. Michelle and I, when we travel around uh, and we go to different hotel uh, rooms, you know, like when you stay in a hotel room, I got so sick and tired of leaving stuff there that, I, that this is what I do every time and I've trained my family to do it and none of them do it. Uh, Michelle hates it when I do this, but basically I always go, okay, we're leaving. So I go to every room and I stay it out loud. I'm forgetting something. I just don't know what it is. I'm forgetting something. I just don't know what it is. And I'm walking around, I'm forgetting something. But almost every time, like the other day, I found Michelle's charger, was up against the wall. It was so fun to show her, look what I found. (laughs) Okay, it's probably a silly way to leave a hotel room, but I'm gonna tell you, it'd be a great way for you to go home and say, Lord, I don't wanna be deceived. Because deception is when we think what other people are doing wrong. So it'd be a good idea for you to go home and say, "Lord, I'm losing something. I just don't know what it is. Lord, I'm not right somewhere. I just don't know what it is. Lord, I need to make some adjustments. I just don't know where it is. I'm gonna, I want to make. Show me, Lord. Peter, Peter, he he could have. He could have had a stronger relationship with the Lord." But he, he, he just wasn't honest with him. I'll get to that in a minute, but it's just so important. My dad who's so funny. He's like the funniest person I ever lived. When he was dying one time, I said, Dad, do you want to know? He didn't die, but we thought he was. I said, dad, do you want to know when you're going to die? I just want to know that. And He goes, no, son. I don't want to know when I'm going to die. I want to know where I'm going to die. I said, why? He said, because I'm never going to go there. Okay, I'm going to tell you where you're going to die. You're going to die when you stop being honest with the Lord in your prayer time. Number two, the cost to love the church, it's daily. It's not one moment in time. It's take up the cross daily. Give us this day our daily bread. In the Old Testament, they had enough They had enough manna for the day. I love the word of God because it's the only book that you read it and while you read it, it reads you. And if we're not daily there, then we won't have what we need to carry it out that day. If you're having a good day spiritually today, it's because you've sought the Lord today. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but you have an electric toothbrush? Like it might have batteries in it. Maybe you charge it. I have one, you charge it. But I'll notice that when the light starts going down or the energy starts going, when the, when the charger starts going down, there's an indicator on it, and it tells you you need to charge it. But I go, I don't want to do that right now. I'm just going to brush the feet. I'll do it tomorrow. So then the next day, I hear, see the light, ding, 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 and I say, so I'll just do that tomorrow. And the next day, I, I'll do it tomorrow. It's working fine now. And then It dies. There's nothing that feels more dumb than using an electric toothbrush manually. (laughs) But this is what a lot of you are doing. You're like using your manual power when the Holy Spirit is saying, please let me in. The church of Ephesus, the Lord showed up and he said, hey, I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you. And I think this is a word for the church in America. I'm proud of your hard work. You you have purpose. And then he said this, and you can spot heresy when it's right in front of you. Like you might not even know, but you just see it like something's wrong with that. That's not scriptural. You'll go and study. He said, I'm proud of you for that. He said, but let me tell you the one thing I'm not proud of, and that is you don't love me like you used to. You've lost your your love for me. I want you to remember the height you have fallen, and I want you to go back. The key is remember. You got to get honest somewhere to grow in God. And I want you to go back and love me the way you used to love me. When I first gave my heart to the Lord in 1981, my uncle was a really strong disciple type, like a discipler And he looked at me, he said, hey, I know you've given your heart to the Lord now, but where are you gonna fall? Scripturally, there's only four possible ways for someone to fall. It's either gonna be with girls, or it's gonna be with glory, which is pride, or it's gonna be with gold and money, or it's gonna be with getting high. Which one's your weakness? Where are you gonna fall? And I said, to be honest with you, I think it's all of them. And he goes, well, no, which one is the most vulnerable? I really think it's all of them. (laughs) And he goes, come on, man. We're working on this. I said, okay. The last year of my life, I started smoking pot, and I really miss it. And I think if I have a chance, I'm going to do it again. And uh, <laughs> uh, for those of the Hazlitt campus or the McKinney campus are online, uh, someone laughed really hard. They get this. So I was looking through scripture on, you know, God made the herbs of the land. So anyway, so I was putting gas in my car one day and I dropped my keys on the ground and they landed right on top of a pre-rolled joint. For those of you that don't know about this stuff, that is Marijuana. And my first thought, I picked it up and I said, praise God. But my uncle had told me, he said, listen, the fact that you told me what it is that you're struggling with, if you bring it before the Lord every day, and that's what we're talking about right now daily, you'll be strong when that time comes. Well, he was wrong because I picked it up and my uncle's, well, I need another mentor. And so I got in the car, you remember how to sin, man. I got in the car, rolled down the window two inches, punched in a cigarette lighter, put on some Boston music, put it in my mouth and was just waiting and then all of a sudden I realized, this is what I've been seeking God about daily. I don't need this junk. Nothing is better than Jesus. So I rolled down the window the rest of the way and threw it out the window. One time I told that story, and a lady said, you're not supposed to litter and throw out stuff. And and I said, I know, but it's more illegal to smoke pie in the car. (laughs) So I'm going to say something to you that I can't say to our church, although I did at one service one time, and I chickened out the other time. But I'm visiting here now, and I'm never going to be invited back, so I'm going to say it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. When you're a real pastor, like your church, it's such a relational church. I'm just very proud of that. I brag about it. That's why my daughter and my, my son-in-law come here because she got to check that church out. If you're going to live in the Dallas area, you got to go. And they came and they never left. And now they like it too much. I have made that clear earlier. They don't miss our church. And so I hope y'all start making some mistakes. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but if I could tell, like if a, if you're a pastor and somebody's struggling in their marriage, the pain, it's, it's hard, man. If somebody's lonely, depressed, it's hard to hear that as a pastor. But I'll tell you what tops it all and what keeps us up at night, and this is what I can't really say it like this to our church, but I'm going to say it to you. What keeps me up at night, what keeps your pastors up at night, is wondering how many people who attend our church are going to go to hell. And I don't mean that like my Sunday school teacher. I just wonder, like, what are those stats? Number three, the cost to love the church. It doesn't attempt to negotiate. It's not negotiating. It's not trying to negotiate. Like Peter, he was negotiating. Jesus said, one of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. He goes, I'll never do that. i love you so. I would never do that. But he did. Now, what if he would have just said, fell on his knees, Lord? Lord, are you talking about me? Is there a chance it could be me? If it's me, pray over me right now. I don't want to do that. It's like just getting honest. That's what Jesus said. And the scripture says you draw near to God with a sincere heart. Just be real somewhere. There's nothing better than going to sleep at night knowing that you are all in for Christ and living for him and telling the truth. And in his word, it's just nothing can compete with that. One time before I was a Christian, be the last story I tell you. And I was, I wasn't a Christian. If you don't remember that part, you're getting ready to not like me, but you got to remember this part. And I was driving down the road, and a lady was about to turn left, but she was waiting f- too long, so I got tired of She was waiting for peace in the Middle East. <laughs> it was like, not going to happen. So I went on the shoulder to pass her. I went around to pass her. And as soon as I got on the shoulder, a police officer saw me, and I was like, I'm getting a ticket for this lady. It's going to cost me. So I just turned the car off with a bad attitude, like, this is just the worst. And then I had an idea. Now, remember, I wasn't a Christian. My idea was, I'm going to pop the hood and act like something's wrong with my car. And that's why I'm on his shoulder. So I pop the hood, and I'm outside, and I'm just looking at it. There's nothing wrong with my car. But I'm looking at it like something's wrong with it. He comes over, and he says, boy, what you doing? I said, sir, thank you for stopping. (laughs) It was, my car was making noises. Stop now. I think I'm going to be all right, but. So kind, I know you're busy, and then you stop to help me. He said, "Boy, I've been on the force for 20 years. I know a lie when I hear one, and I know a lie right now. You're a liar, boy." And I was like, "So I'm just looking at him, like like I'm not a liar, but I am a liar. I don't even know how that looks like." And then. He scurried on and he turned around and he goes, just between you and I before I get in the car so I can know the rest of my life. You are a liar, aren't you? You're lying, aren't you? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, you shouldn't have told me that and he wrote me a sticker to me. I hate that guy. Listen to me. A few times over the last year, I'm over time, so I'm just gonna say this: I've come home, and I've told my wife, and I've told my God, I'm quitting. It's just too hard. I'm not wired for this. It's just too hard to be a believer or a pastor. And I, I'm gonna quit. And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or my wife. Usually, their exact same voice. <laughs> <laughs> And the Holy Spirit said, you're just negotiating. You have to be all in. And then the last thing is that you're going to have to be authentic with this thing. Saddest verse in the Bible is Samson. And the Bible says that he, he went with Delilah. He forgot the power of God, came from the power of God. Thought it was him. I hate this verse. He was with Delilah. He slept with her, just overconfident in himself. the Bible says, you know, his hair was cut. And it's a long story for those of you who don't know the word, but he lost his power. Saddest verse in the Bible. When the enemy came in to arrest him, he went to shake himself, but he didn't know the power had left him. And that's why I'm speaking to you about The cost. You're the only one who could know. So go home and take a look at this. Thus say the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great church. Thank you for your mighty name here. Thank you for all the souls of people who have been set free from addictions here. Those that have recommitted their lives to you, all the people saved and baptized and filled with your spirit. Thank you for those that are gonna enjoy this new space. But, Lord, we got a cost to pay, and I pray we can do it to where you say, job well done, my faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks a lot, Milestone Church. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform we hope you have a great week